You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode in Oklahoma City today, um, I guess this one's a little bit about design and real estate and passion and collecting and a lot of other cool stuff. And for people listening and not watching, I'll direct you to the Instagram page of our guest today because it is, well, it's a curated masterpiece. I'm going to call it that. Um, I'm excited. I don't really get to do real estate podcasts that often, but um, Ken and my co-host is with me. You might have known Ken from some of the videos we've done together. So... Ken, thanks for coming. Hey, uh, thanks for bringing me on. Excited to have your kind of real estate insight in today's uh, episode because we have Mr. Daniel Barrett Mathis with us from Not a Minimalist Instagram account. Great Instagram name, by the way. <laughs> Hello. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, a, a curate. What you, you call it? A curated masterpiece. That's, uh, yeah. That's a. That's kind of a high standard. Well, that's to coming, live up to. That's also coming from someone who has no idea about this stuff. But I will give it to you, and we can. <laughs> I'll we take can it clip anyway. Yeah. No one will look into my history of who I am, what I do. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for having me in the house. Obviously, you're in a huge process at the moment of, of renovating your new mm-hmm. house. Uh, but we have a beautiful wall behind us. Yeah, yeah. You're. I think you're probably my first um, official guests. Yeah, actually, I yeah. feel honored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ten months into a renovation. Um, I when I bought the house, I, I kind of told everybody I'm going to be renovating a house for a couple months, and you know, tell my followers I'm going to be you know moving all my stuff um, because that's one of the things that people have said over the years is, oh my god, I would hate to move if I were you, and. And it's and it's proving true. So it's hate, been a slow process. I hate to move, and I have far less stuff than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Having moving people is great, but when you have the stuff that you have, it's can you rather do it all yourself, right? Yeah, you want to, you, you said you want to do it all yourself. Yeah, because you just don't trust anybody. Right, to right. Yeah, and that's that's what I've done so far. Is pretty much everything in here right now. I've moved because I want to touch it, and uh, or it was already boxed up. Like the pottery that we're that I'm sitting in front of was actually in storage for quite a few years yeah. and I didn't have it out. So this is kind of a first, uh, first show that I'm doing of, of it, of this collection. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's all the delicate stuff that I need to move myself or I have all, you know, stuff I need to take off the walls myself. So eventually I'll get to the place where I'll bring the movers in and get the heavy things. Right. And, was the built in already here when you moved in? No, this was a, this was something we added Okay. and it's, you know, uh, 22 feet wide, of built-ins, it once you know. It's honestly one of the reasons I bought the house is because I I could locate a, a set of built-ins this size, mm-hmm. and this was actually a bedroom um, originally, and I've turned it into a den. Yeah. This house kind of had some idiosyncrasies, we'll say, that needed um, tweaking. So this was one of the one of the things we did. So yeah, we added added the shelves. Mm-hmm. It looks good. Thank That's you. Great look. Yeah. Uh, before we dive into the collecting part, what we like to do in this podcast is set some context. Um, so, I mean, going way back, where, where did you grow up? And then we'll navigate to how you end mm-hmm. up in Oklahoma. Okay. Well, I am a Mississippi native. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up there in the, in the northeast part of the state, and that's where most of my family still is. Um, I went to undergrad in Mississippi, and um, then I started my professional life in marketing, kind of back in the dot-com boom, and ended up in Dallas. And so I worked in Dallas for a few years and then decided to go back to law school. And so I went back to Mississippi, went to Ole Miss, 
um, to law school, and then I ended up back in Dallas as a lawyer. And uh, one of the areas of law that's as you know popular in Texas, just like it's popular in Oklahoma, is oil and gas law. And so I got into oil and gas law sort of accidentally, and um, ended up doing a lot of work for a big company that's that's based in Oklahoma City. And so ten years ago. Um, I moved in-house with them, and so here I am. Yeah. This is my 10th year in Oklahoma. A lot's changed in those 10 years in Oklahoma, right? I yeah. F- I feel like a lot's changed just in your life. <laughs> you said yeah. you, uh, you went to college, and then you're like, oh, I'll go back to college. That seems wild. I didn't even make it through my first stint in college. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, yeah, I'm a little, yeah, I'm a collector of everything. Degrees. I have three degrees, um, all kinds of things. You know, it seems like I do everything in multiples. Um, but, yeah, I never – if you had asked me – 10 years, even 10 years ago, if I would ever be living in Oklahoma, I would have said, no, probably not. I mean, I had friends from Tulsa, but I had never, had not spent much time in Oklahoma City. And I drove up one weekend when the opportunity arose. And I think I spent three hours looking for an apartment and looking at the office where I'd be working and um, said, okay, this looks pretty, this looks all, this looks good. I'll do it. And I've been living downtown uh, Oklahoma City for 10 years. I have an apartment there, which on my Instagram, most of my photos are in my apartment. Mm-hmm. And so that, uh, it's at the Montgomery, which is a really great um, place to live if anybody's looking for something in downtown Oklahoma City. It's in the Arts District, walkable to work. So I've been walking to work for 10 years, and, and now I'm commuting for the first time, which is still a pretty small commute from where we are. Got to ask a question. Were you a regular at Clarity? Um, I was not a regular. I can't say I was a regular there. I, I, I walked by it a lot. I feel like that would be the coffee shop, right? Yeah, yeah, the coffee yeah. shop. There's a, like literally from the Montgomery, it's like you can probably see Yeah. It. Now, when um, it opened, it was, it, was, it was really great. And there's so many coffee shops around. And, and, and they're great. The only problem is that I tend to like the sort of, I'll call them cheesy coffee drinks that are super sweet. And, yeah. and Clarity's is a little more sophisticated. Yeah. And um, so you have to be a little more of a coffee flavor connoisseur I think uh, for sense. them yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that was the only thing, re- thing that I didn't go in there probably as frequently yeah and you said you moved to Oklahoma City 10 years ago mm-hmm. and Oklahoma City 10 years ago is not the I, same that was, you're about the same time I got here August 2011 yeah so we kind of had yeah. the same probably you did too I, yeah I got here about 8 years ago in October of like 14 I think yeah. but it's wild because I, I I don't know I guess I didn't even think of the context of my own time frame here, but ten years just seems like like a different Oklahoma City than now. Oh, Obviously totally. it is, but mm-hmm. like just drastically different of all. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I usually tell everybody, and I told I would tell my friends this for years, and and family members who aren't aren't here that you know there's a new restaurant every every month. Like for a while, we had a new restaurant or a bar every month. Yeah. There was something you know new to do almost. Always, and and that happened for years, and it's yeah. only been recently. Now, of course, the pandemic slowed that down, but maybe even before the pandemic, it felt like we were slowing just a little bit, and then you finally had a few restaurants that yeah. weren't making it, or maybe it were closing. But for years, it seemed like every new restaurant did well, and um, we had something new. So, I mean, and I had friends come in from visit me from law school who we would drive around, and mm-hmm. one of them said one time, "Oh, so shocking! Another brand new, beautiful, clean building in downtown Oklahoma City." Like every <laughs> thing is so clean and, and nice and and pretty um so yeah it's just been a good time to to be here for sure mm-hmm. yeah so starting out your first kind of professional love was marketing is that right yeah so i always had a little bit of a creative uh i'm, I'm a right brain person mm-hmm. and so i've always had a little bit of a creative um 
tent to my thinking. And so marketing kind of appealed to me, although I ended up in the telecom field, which is a a a very technical field. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, you know, scratched the itch for that kind of work. So I did, uh, I was in corporate marketing for Sprint in Dallas. It was my last job before going to law school. And, you know, there was a a lot of creativity in the programs and marketing things that we Mm -hmm. did. And um, so that that was fun, but it just kind of got to a place where I didn't feel challenged anymore. And I'd always planned, I kind of had thought about going to business school and you work first and then go to business school and kind of a two year thing. But at the time, the telecom field during during that sort of tail end of the dot com uh, bubble was a really good place to be working. And so the next thing I knew it was, you know, five, five and a half years into that. And I really just had to make a difficult decision to just quit. And despite the fact that we were having, you know, layoffs at that time, um, I had to quit and uh, pivot into what I wanted to, to do next. And uh, so, yeah, so then law school wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And actually, Halfway through, I ordered like um, at the time you would still order paper, like you know, catalogs for like graduate schools, and I ordered one for an architecture school. And I mm-hmm. had always kind of I drew house plans as a kid and things like that. And so I thought maybe that's where my passion is. But um, once you get kind of through the first year of law school, you're like, okay, hold on, no, 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 you need to, you're not doing that. You're gonna, you're gonna finish <laughs> this out. And Practicing law is so much more fun than law school to me. And so I have loved practicing law. And um, I know that's a far cry from, you know, what what I do as a hobby. But I have really enjoyed practicing law. And there is a creative, to me, a creative component to practicing law that is not exploited by a lot of lawyers from the perspective of finding solutions to problems and even just analyzing the law itself, which anybody can can look up a case and say, this is what the case says. But it takes a little more artistry in the law to look at multiple cases and kind of synthesize those rules and put it together in a very clear and persuasive way. And to me, that's the artistry and the creativity that that sometimes I'm able to exploit. It's a little less often as an in-house attorney gets to do that as I did as an as a attorney at a law firm. But Um, And it's definitely challenging. So you never are bored. So I've never been bored. um, And, you know, that kind of keeps me. It's the yin and the yang, I think, to my creative hobby versus my day job, which is a little more technical and demanding and, you know, whatnot. Yeah. Uh, To the creative part of um, uh, being a lawyer, which I don't feel like go in the same sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, I read a book a few years ago called Creative Calling is by um, a photographer named uh, Chase Jarvis, who's also just like a really great uh, mm-hmm. like entrepreneur. He's opened mm-hmm. up, he done, he's done a lot of cool things. He actually um, invented Instagram before mm. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, <clears throat> he wrote a book called Creative Calling and he talks about, in that book, He it's, it's, it's more of like a, it's more of like a program. Like when you read the book, he kind of talks about things like, Hey, do this thing. But he says a lot of cool things in there. He talks about how everybody's creative. Like being a mother is creative. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you got to create, uh, like an ecosystem for your children. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know. He just, he kind of, he dives into like everything is creative. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you got to find your thing. Yeah. How, um, I'm doing a really bad job describing this, but it, when, when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, it really made me look at things a lot differently. And I feel like kind of what you just said, like you kind of found 
the you said all your thing all your mind is just kind of like tinted in creativity which i i uh feel that and so like you being able to find that in something that's not necessarily creative mm-hmm. is cool and i think kind of goes along with what he was kind of talking about in that book yeah so. how why law why law school why why when you're in marketing and you're doing and, and i know you said your buddies with some of your friends are doing it but that's a big jump i mean not just to, not just to go yeah. from like marketing to a different industry but law school is like I mean, that's head, that's sounds heady stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a different, it is. I mean, a lot of um, executives and business positions, you know, have law degrees because yeah. it is a really good training ground for thinking and problem solving. And we, you know, when we finished law school, my friends and I were always like, oh my gosh, I'll never be the same again because law school really does teach you how to think. Yeah. Aside from just teaching you the law, it, it really teaches you how to think. You kind of lose your bliss in life because you're always going to be aware of the risks, the legal risks that are associated with anything you do. And we always joke about that. I probably, I'm surprised I didn't have you guys sign a release before you came in um, to my construction zone. Um, but we can go on the record and have you, have you verbally give me a release. Um, so that was kind of my thinking at the time. It's like, if I'm going to continue in a business role or something like that, it's, it's a good um, found it's, it's, it's a useful it's useful training, even if you don't practice law. And so I really didn't, didn't know where that path was going to take me. I just wanted kind of the, to experience the challenge of law school too. I think some people that go to law school just want to know if you can do it. Sure. And it's a, it's a challenge. And I, I've kind of always had that uh, drive to, to do that too. But I really did say every, even since I was in high school that I wanted to go to law school. Mm-hmm. And at the time you, you just aspire to do something that you think is, is great. Yeah. And you don't necessarily... Um, I don't think my generation was taught as much to, or told to follow your bliss as much as some of the subsequent generations were. And I, in fact, I saw an article yesterday that said, I think we should stop telling kids to follow your bliss with respect to employment because you don't have to have a job that is the pinnacle of your bliss Mm -hmm. because many people struggle to find that after being told to follow it. And then they struggle to get into a regimen or a routine that allows them to make a living that then allows them to do what they find blissful on the side, which is kind of what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, that at the time, I mean, you know, I was in my twenties, I was 27 when I started law school. So it was, um, I'd had time to think and to mature a little bit. And so I also kind of viewed it as, Hey, this is probably the last time that I'm going to have time an opportunity to learn full time. Right for this number of years. And so I should just try to sink in and enjoy that. Yeah. And that's kind of what I did. All I said, I didn't love it at the, at the time, but eventually it kind of hit those buttons. Yeah. Other than when you came to Oklahoma City for a few hours before moving here, what stood out to you to think, I mean, did you just want to get away? Like, did you think it was a short-term thing or did you think that, like you said, you didn't expect to be here for this long a time? Like, what was that? Yeah, process? no, I, I did not. I'm going to add to that question. If there was another place that offered you a job, would you have picked that over Oklahoma? You can probably tie that into the answer. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm in an in-house role, which is actually a pretty hard spot to find, frankly. There yeah. aren't that many mm-hmm. um, in-house roles for, for lawyers. And so lawyer, you know, one, one time a lawyer described this, the, the job that I have is kind of a lifeboat. A lot of lawyers who at law firms for many years, you're billing time and it becomes very grueling. And so sometimes lawyers see this lifeboat go by as a sort of an in-house position, which offers the 
um, the ability to practice law, but also in more of a nine to five kind of business setting, which is a little less stressful. And so we usually say it's a very enjoyable way to practice law. But no, I mean, I didn't, I was, I, I kind of always moved around, was, was flexible. I think I could be happy anywhere, to be honest with you. I'm kind of that person. One of my friends said that when I moved here. She was like, I think, I think you're the kind of person who, could, who would be happy anywhere mm-hmm. and would be able to make your, you know, yourself happy anywhere. But I didn't have a very good impression of Oklahoma City, I'll be honest, when I, when I first was moving here because the times that I remember driving through as a kid, like on road trips, it was very much the, the empty downtown that Okies will talk about yeah. from decades ago, maybe not even that long ago, where you know people remember the Skirvin being having you know plywood on the windows and things like that. And so that was kind of the memory that I had, but I, I saw a different city when I moved here. I mean when I when I came and got an apartment. And um, I knew that there was a bit of a renaissance going on and that it was um, kind of offered, you know, the best of a lot of worlds. You kind of have you can. There are jobs here that, that pay big city salaries, and you have kind of a small town feel. And you know, sometimes in the urban core, sometimes we joke and say we have a private city. Like if yeah. the commuters who leave during the weekends and things, it's a it's almost like a private city. the The traffic isn't bad. You have all of these amenities, um, new parks. So I'm such an advocate for Oklahoma City, um, and have been the last few years, yeah. and just really have enjoyed living here. So, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I would have done if I had two choices. Um, I I always leaned to bigger cities. So if somebody had come in with a a, a similar job at a larger city, I might've gone that route today. I probably wouldn't make that same decision, just a different place in my life. Yeah. It's interesting. You were talking about the, the come up that Oklahoma city has had. I remember when I graduated high school and I was like talking about like we were trying to get out of this small town that we we're in. We talked about Oklahoma City, and I remember his dad being like, "You don't want to move to Oklahoma City." And this was like, it's like 2010, 11, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why earlier I said it's it's like you've probably seen. I mean, you you talked about seeing the, the huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and changed. I think that even not like you said, not even that long ago, probably maybe 12, 15 years ago, it was that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is kind of a wild, uh, yeah, come up. So so the side, you know, the Instagram. The collecting, I mean, do you, were you just a collector as a kid? Like, where does that, how does that, because it's not something that like people just get into, right? Right, yeah, I mean, it was definitely, I mean, some people decide I'm going to, I'm going to collect X, Y, or Z from every city that I travel to or something as a, as a token. But for me, it was probably the first thing that I was naturally inclined to do that I remember. And I know that in the second and third grade, I started collecting rocks and fossils. And, you know, your kids, you're running through yeah. the, the gravel driveways that we had in the South. And you're looking for fossils and arrowheads and things like that. So I had a rock collection. And then I started collecting key rings. Um, you know, we don't, I don't know, they seem more prevalent at the time. But I started collecting key rings. And so I had, and I still have both those collections. I have a collection of key rings and I have a collection of rocks that I started in the second and third grade. And I, I collected those, you know, into, into high school and always had, you know, the inclination to do that. And then it probably stopped, you know, in college when you're busy and you're studying. And so I wasn't necessarily building collections at that time, but that's kind of when I pivoted into kind of vintage and mm-hmm. antiques was kind of in college. Um, my cousin and I, um, we're rooming together and we went to an antique store and, uh, in Mississippi and I 
you know, picked up. I remember a salt and pepper shaker that was vintage and I still have, I still have them. Um, but I also always had this thing where I took care of everything that I had. Like I still have my matchbox cars that are like brand new. Like I would never, you know, play with them in the dirt. So I always had this thing where I really took care of the, of the things that I had as well. So I have a tendency to accumulate. Um, but yeah, I definitely had a, a, I think it's kind of a genetic inclination to collect and accumulate. And I think my grandmother on my mom's side is where I got that from. My mother doesn't really have that inclination, nor my dad, but my grandmother does. So I, I think there's kind of a, a genetic yeah. component to that. Yeah. I find myself, uh, hoarding things from my mm -hmm. past as well. Um, I wanted to ask about these, uh, Pottery, mm -hmm. uh, the pottery one. Is there any like style? Well, not even just the pottery, but just like in general. Is there any style you go for? Is there like anything that like you really like over other styles? Or because I feel like looking at these, the pottery behind you, there's a lot of different styles. Yeah, um, right. From I mean, you could probably find something like super mid-century here and mm -hmm. super uh, like old world. I mean, there's everything on this wall. Right yeah. Here. Well, this pottery in particular is is I generally refer to it as is kind of mid-century American pottery. And the oldest, probably, there's probably some 1910, 1920 pieces in there, and it goes up to the 60s and the 70s. And there's probably maybe 10 different pottery companies or so represented up here. Most of it is McCoy pottery, which a lot of you know vintage folks would be familiar with. And, and the McCoy pottery companies were, were active for several decades um, in the United States. And then there's, you know, just some USA pottery that you really can't tell what manufacturer did it. There's a company called Hager Pottery that was active outside. I think their factory was outside of St. Louis, and they just closed within the last 10 years. Um, so they were active for a long time. And this, so that's, so this is a wide array of, of manufacturers and, I, and, and makers, and I'm not really particular about the maker. I, I don't have anything contemporary up here, nothing new, so it's kind of all vintage. Mm -hmm. But um, I started buying, I don't really know why what, what attracted me to this other than it was inexpensive at first. When I, you know, I started this collection 20 years ago and you could buy pieces for four or five dollars at, at antique stores and flea markets and you still can. It's a little more expensive generally now and certainly some of these pieces are pretty valuable um, in the hundreds of dollars. I saw there's a, the, I, don't, I don't know if the camera's picking that up, but there's a piece above me um, that has some fins on it. It looks like kind of a art deco uh, tall piece that's probably from the 20s, I think, or the 30s. A piece of that sold on eBay recently for about $800. So yeah. they're, you know, so some of them are, uh, and, and I'm, just like most antiques, you know, the prices go up and down uh, right. over time. Um, so that's this collection, and then it just became, you know, I was storing it, and when I would find it, I would, would purchase it, and I kind of had a mental catalog of what I had, and when I build a collection, I usually buy cheap pieces first, and then if I see that I'm going to have, you know, a pretty extensive collection, then I'll try to fill in with some mm -hmm. um, more, you know, marquee pieces or rare pieces, which are more expensive. I don't tip. I don't. My recommendation is to never start a collection with by buying the most expensive piece first, because you don't know if you're going to continue. But if you want to fill your collection out after you have spent time getting sort of the volume that you need to make to make a statement. Um, then it's kind of nice to add some some more expensive pieces, and that's what I did here. Yeah. Um, and then you ask about my overall sort of aesthetic. Um, I mean, I have to say it's eclectic. I mean, it's it's kind of a it's a little bit of an overused term, but it certainly describes um, 
you know, what I do. Um, I do have a lot of vintage and antique pieces, although I do, I do like some contemporary pieces too. I mean, I'm sitting on a brand new sofa. This is from Jonathan Adler, which is, um, pretty well-known designer. He's a potter as well, but you know, dabbles in furnishings and lamps. So I do, it's definitely a mix. Um, there's some Southwest influence because, you know, we're in Oklahoma and I love to go to Santa Fe. And so I, I kind of got into, you know, kind of the Killam rugs and some of the, I have some Navajo weavings and some, um, silver and turquoise pieces. So there's, there's kind of an earthy, I think, thread Mm -hmm. to some of my, um, to some to my aesthetic i like um i like taxidermy i'm not a hunter but i like taxidermy i like natural pieces um so it's that so that's kind of you know and then i have kind of a signature orange color that kind of dominates my spaces too that if anybody if you look at my instagram you can kind of see that yeah. uh, weaving through so i'm interested in because my, my big side of things is the social media part and creating a community through social media and there's so many benefits from that but for you like where does that kind of blogging writing taking photos and you know and, and showing off your pieces start like what's, mm-hmm. what's the time period that starts for you yeah i think i'm maybe in the fourth year of doing that i you know obviously was on instagram for a while and i had a personal account and decided i, I thought it'd be fun to kind of start sharing my hobby yeah. and to find other sort of like-minded people and but i didn't want to do that on my personal account because i didn't want to force feed this to my friends who don't who don't care about all of uh the stupid, you know, collections that I'm, you know, that I've got. And so I thought about it and, and I, I was a little bit, you know, there was some thought behind my account, which the, you know, it's a little bit tongue in cheek with, uh, my handle, not a minimalist. And I guess my marketing background kicked in a little bit because mm-hmm. it's like, well, you want something that rolls off the tongue. You want something that's easy to spell, easy to remember. I don't want any periods in it. I don't want any underscores in it, you know, and that, that was to me a little bit of a common sense kind of thing. And it kind of just, you know, kind of took on a life of its own. Um, and I also, so I, I started it three or four years ago and it was a slow build mm-hmm. in terms of finding other people who, who like your content. And, um, and I put a lot of time into interacting with my followers and I try to answer all the questions and that's getting more and more difficult mm-hmm. to do, especially if you're, you do a post and you get hundreds of comments. It is very time, it takes hours. Well, some people don't read the comments and they ask the same question 10 times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you, you know, and I yeah. don't mind if I have the time, I, I try to be thorough and respond to everybody's questions because that's part, you know, everyone talks about, you know, building a community mm-hmm. on, on social platforms and you can't do that if you don't interact. Okay. And so I try to, to, if I'm gonna put a post out there that generates responses, I try to respond to everybody. So I think that's one of the things that has helped me to build a, a following. And every now and then you have a post that just does really well, or you have accounts that find your content that are bigger and share your content. And um, of course I ended up getting um, asked to have fo- magazine photo shoots in my apartment from all from Instagram, it was all from Instagram. and that generates um followers i mean things like this yeah. i've this i've been on a couple of podcasts i've done interviews with like annie sloan who's the chalk paint lady that people might know of i mean she's a fairly well-known person um, i mean melissa mccarthy started following my account i was like what in the world i mean you know i had to look at it twice famous yeah, yeah. it's like you know people um find your stuff and it's really amazing and it definitely kind of took on a life of its own and a little more than I anticipated. Um, but, 
it's in and then everyone assumes that it's a business it's really not i mean i don't i don't have a business i'm really not making money from from it per se i mean i've had a few um collaborations that i've done that are very select because um i don't number one i don't have time to do it number two i, I really don't need to make money from from yeah. this and at this moment and it it is more just for fun for me and so i don't want to get never wanted to get it to a place where it wasn't fun for me and you know if that's when with vintage and stuff a lot of people turn their hobbies into businesses and then it's no longer fun it's commercialized and it's a job yeah and so that may but you know who knows where it will go and i'm not saying that's never um you know sometimes you need to generate revenue yeah. from from things uh, and so it could go to that place but that wasn't really not my objective it was more of just building a little bit of a brand i guess um which is kind of what i've done yeah well it's fun to do especially if you not you know if it's not because it's a hobby you don't have to stick to a posting schedule you don't have to yeah. think i have to post this all the time i have to write this blog i've got to stage this and take this photo it's just this is what I've collected this weekend. This is yeah. something I'm adding in. This is something I didn't add in. Here's why. Like you just kind of do it so organically and fun. And then that's such an easier way for people to follow you because yeah. they're not being sold to. Right. They're not like, and you know, if it does come to a point where you have a link in your website that says, you know, I don't know, it could be an ebook or it could be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I can advise, whatever it is, advising, consulting on anything yeah then great but you know i I don't i get the sense you're never going to be throwing that in someone's face right you know it's it's just cool and fun to do i mean i get a lot of requests to do paid collaborations and posts Mm -hmm. and they're not things usually that i want to do it's not content that is on on brand for Mm -hmm. my audience it's not it just feels disingenuous um, I mean, you know, if I lost my job suddenly and had to pivot into yeah. to doing that, there's probably a way to make that work. But no, I mean, the only, you know, somebody, you know, this week I did a post for um, an art gallery in San Francisco called Lost Art Salon. And mm-hmm. they, I loved them from, you know, for, for years. And then they reached out and asked about doing a collaboration. You were like, yes. And I was like, absolutely, because I love your stuff. And in fact, I had commented on one of their pictures, you know, I need, I want all of it, What something that they posted. And, and they said, well, we can probably make that happen. <laughs> and so. Really? That's a good thing? <laughs> yeah. Good. And so we started, um, you know, and it's a kind of a several month long collaboration where I think it feels really genuine because it is. And uh, I love their art. They, they, and I'm giving, I'll give them, you know, giving them a free yeah. shout out now, but they, they are, have a really interesting concept where they go and source, it's called Lost Art Salon, so Lost Art. So they're looking for artists that were kind of you know overlooked or ignored by the art community. And, and I'm certainly not an art aficionado by any means. I just know, like what I like. And, and so that's an interesting story where they find families and they go into basements and attics yeah. and you know someone has passed away and left a lot of art and they curate it and, and find an audience for it. And so you, you get cool vintage art as well as the stories behind the artists so that felt very genuine and and a good fit for me and i think has has been an effect as as shown because they've you know um enjoyed it too so Mm -hmm. and it's brought a lot of people who have a similar interest that i that that as i do to their to their business yeah yeah it's really neat when when you find someone who like you've already followed for a while and you love what they do and they're like we'd love to work together like oh my gosh yes like Mm -hmm. let's figure this out and and to that point of being long term it's a much easier, you know, for, even if it, sometimes when people reach out and you're just like, oh, they just want one thing here and there. They want that quick kind of like yeah. follow a hit, don't they? 
I I rather do the long term thing because it feels more organic. Yeah, right? and then the following gets used to seeing them and gets more you know like I've aligned with these people. Mm-hmm. We're doing this together rather than here's a giveaway like yeah you know so it it is a lot of fun though. What I'm interested in what was kind of like that first time you know, that somebody reached out and you were like, oh my gosh, people actually care about what I'm doing right now. Was it like a magazine? Was it an interview? Like, what was that first kind yeah, of Yeah, it probably was, one, it was maybe a magazine. Yeah, I mean, one of the, probably the first um, where I was like, oh man, it was, it was a print magazine. It was, it was a called Flea Market Style. They, um, it's been in and out of publication, you know, print publications are all, all struggling. And yeah, I was on a, on a vacation and I got a, you know, DM from, from somebody related to that magazine and it was like, oh my gosh. And, um, then you're just, so that was the first, first time. So I was going to pivot into kind of that experience, but the first time having a magazine, you know, come to your house, it's, if you're a little OCD like I am and you're kind of a perfectionist, it's, it is a lot of work. Um, I let you guys in despite the mayhem that's going on that. <laughs> and and we're you know we have a fixed it still backdrop. looks cool in here <laughs> we have a fixed backdrop but yeah that was the first time and then i spent you know i kind of killed myself for two months trying to perfect you know my my apartment yeah. and before they came before they came so it was even better than what they had seen you yeah. know when in in the shots that i shared on instagram so that was the first one, and then you know from there it's just like every few months I, I get a ping from somebody like that wanting to to do something, and and so it's fun. It's it just snowballs fun. right from there. You get one or two, and then mm-hmm. then people start reaching out, and then and locally people start realizing. And some of the stuff that I've kind of spoken to people who do similar things to you, it's like not generally in more more cases than not local people don't really know first right mm-hmm. it's like someone from out of town re- realizes it thankfully to instagram and the reach of it or other social media platforms and then you know then someone locally sees it kind of like what, what i did i mean i saw it because someone had shared it i was like i think you might have sent me one of the photos that you have with just the the all the frames in the background yeah and i think i've saved it i'm like i want my office wall to look like mm-hmm. that you know and now there's big commercial companies that will quote put that together for right. you and just send you the frames yeah right um but yeah, you've just done it in a way that's kind of just curated, organic, and a skill that not a lot of people have. Which oh, it's, well, thanks. It's really well, yeah. Cool. I mean, you forget. I mean, I, it's you know, like the expression, "You live in in the chicken coop." You don't. Yeah. You don't smell the smell. Well, I I live in this, so I never I, I forget that what I what I do is different, mm-hmm. and um, you know, a lot of people collect, but they don't necessarily display it the way that I do. And so there's been a lot of questions about that in terms of, well, the number one question I get is how do you dust? And <laughs> that is a, that is a yeah. question I would like to know. And it's just year. like, there's just going to be some dust. Yeah. There's going to be some dust. Right. Number one. I wish but my mom would listen to that. <laughs> number two is there's no easy, there's no easy way. I just do it. And for the most part, it's, it is me that does it. Now here in the house, it's, I'm, I'm moving, you know, into four or five times the square footage that I have in the apartment. I'll have some help with with some of the cleaning from yeah. time to time because I'm doing more than I was doing there. I mean, most people didn't believe me when I said, "Well, you, yeah, my apartment," but it's like that's me at like seventy percent. Like when I when I get a house, it's really gonna be does really that, gonna turn it up. We're gonna have really to really excite you that you have more room now. Yeah, it does. Although I'm ten months into this, and so I am I am I am kind of getting fatigued, and um i tr- you know i try to pause and and remember the ex- you know what's fun about it um but until i sort of get over this 
we know I've, I've told you guys before I, we did a lot of not fun well I, maybe not maybe I didn't tell you guys it seems like I've told everybody but you know, there was a lot of not fun things that you do in a home renovation too oh, yeah, it's not just sure. all aesthetic like right. spending money fun things yeah <laughs> yes. aside from the money part but like you know who, who want you know you put a new AC in and have to move ductwork from oh, the yeah. crawl space you know from the foundation to the to the attic space well that was not a story you want to tell. I mean, that's not fun. So there's a lot of not fun things you do to get to the place where you do the fun things. And so I'm just getting close to the place to do the fun things. And, but yeah, I am excited. I mean, this was, you know, I envisioned this wall of pottery for years. And so I was committed to this collection as I am most of my collections, but it's a, it's not an instant thing and I couldn't go out. It would be difficult to replicate this quickly. I mean, you could probably go onto eBay and scoop up hundreds and hundreds of pieces yeah. of pottery, but it wouldn't be wouldn't be cheap. That's the beauty in it though, right? Cuz at the time you're collecting these things, you're like one day this is going to look so good on it. Yeah. One day I'm going to buy a house with a 20, 20 or 22 foot, yeah. you know, space that I can fill this in and then I'm going to if I don't have a shelf, I'm going to build a shelf for it. Mm-hmm. And like you said over the years and and that's the when you look at this piece on the wall, you have all those awesome memories of like you know, it took me a while to build this. And there's something cool yeah. about that, right? It's not just no, like, it's, it's, you know, it's very gratifying. Way. It's almost surreal because yeah. I've talked about it for so long. And even some of my close friends will come in like, I can't believe you finally have this pottery in, in right. a wall. Like you've talked about this for so long. And, and so it is a, and you never know if you're, if that's ever going to be an opportunity sure. that comes to fruition, because I don't know. I mean, like, you know, if you're, you have to move or you can't, you know, are you ever going to be able to afford it? I mean, you don't know if some yeah. of your dreams, things that you dream about are going to come, you know, be able to come to fruition. So yeah, a lot of thing, a lot of long-term ideas are, are getting implemented in this house. And then a lot of things that I never thought about. I mean, you know, I envisioned the wall. I didn't envision it black necessarily. Mm-hmm. I didn't envision this sort of ochre color in the back. Um, those are things that kind of make sense with the rest of my decor, but yeah, it was a, it's a long-term, it's a commitment. It's a long-term commitment. And a lot of my collections I build kind of on the side until they're kind of ready to be mm-hmm. displayed. And then I bring them out. And um, so, you know, so there's a, definitely a collection, collecting um, component to my designs. And then, like, I don't even call myself a designer. Like, people call me a designer. And I'm right. like, I never really called myself a designer. I doesn't feel... It doesn't feel right to call yourself a designer or to call yourself an artist. And so I never use those terms. But I think there is an aspect of artistry to it. And there's obviously an aspect of design. Um, I kind of see it all in my head. And I, you know, like my gallery wall was kind of the first Mm -hmm. thing that got attention on Instagram. And I didn't realize how anal I was in terms of the precision with which I hung the pieces and the spacing is 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 pretty con, con, you know consistent and so i think the the perfection component to some of that is what gets people's attention right. also the fact that i had 20 foot tall ceilings that in that apartment and so the wall is massive and so you know in terms of getting a, people's attention it's usually things that nobody's ever seen before or it's something that's you know i've never seen it done quite like that before yeah. and that's kind of what instagram you know likes is mm-hmm. is things that people have never seen before and um and I never wanted to be uh an average anything. I don't want to be an average collector. If I'm going to collect, I'm going to be an epic collector. Like I want my collections to be epic. Yeah. And 
that's the way I kind of tackle everything I do in life. But but yeah, it's truly you know just a joy. You know, my, you know it's my personal joy. So it's it's easy to do it when you enjoy doing it. Yeah, it complements your 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 daily work job. Like you know, like I said, you you, you know you've got your right brain marketing and, mm-hmm. and creative side needs needs to scream somewhere. You yeah, know? and and if you were cooped up, you know, like the lawyer part of the lawyer side of you is like I know you've got some freedom, you know, being corporate, mm-hmm. you know, on the boat or whatever. But like. Still, I mean, you've got to have something to get away. And when you come home, some people would come home and see this and think that's worse than being a lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I've got all this stuff. Away, it's not you know. for everybody. It's, it's not for everybody. Time, it compliments you yeah. perfectly. And you know, you you know, Instagram has and social media has the good and the bad. You get oh, yeah. you get good comments and you get some bad comments. And I'm not I'm not I've not been insulated from a few bad comments, but I don't mind them because it's it's like hey, it's not for everybody. Or sometimes when you respond to them, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean it like that because yeah. people people do say sort of you know everyone knows un, these unfiltered comments oh, yeah. that it as if it is going into the netherworld or something. It's like would you come up to me and say that to me in person? I don't. <laughs> yeah. Most people wouldn't. And yeah. so when you say fair enough, I don't. I don't. I, nobody ever said it was for everyone. They're like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean you know. Right. Oh, I shouldn't have said it quite like that. Or I didn't. Or or they sometimes uh, think that I'm promoting excess. <laughs> like, you know, it's yeah. like, this is the promotion of, you more, know, just more, more, more. Yeah. Like yeah. Or Get just all the stuff. frivolous spending and that sort of thing. It's like, <laughs> you know, I didn't, so, you, so everyone has an interpretation of things. And I, th- I think there's a thing with like, you can't really read somebody's tone in a text, yeah, in a text right. format. So I think maybe that would clear mm-hmm. up a lot of <laughs> issues because yeah. whenever they come back with like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. Maybe their tone was a little different than right. how it was read. Um, but also at the same time, I do feel like it's not really, this is something I struggle with sometimes in my own self is like, it's not really my responsibility how somebody else receives mm-hmm. your thing. Like right. it's not your responsibility yeah. to, to nurture somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't like your pottery wall. Sure. You know? It's your pottery wall. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I get it. It is still troubling when you get a comment. You're like, man. Yeah. That, <laughs> well, because a lot of us are... comment hurts a little bit. And you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Like, because I read them too. And you're just like, what is wrong with this person? Like, why <laughs> yeah. are they having such a bad day? They have to make me feel bad. And then when you comment to them, you know, and it takes a lot to be nice back. Right? Yeah. When you say, you know, this is it. And they're like, oh, oh, I totally. And they do exactly what you just right. said. Right. It's, it's just, yeah. The social media world can be toxic for sure. Mm-hmm. But I'm more interested in, in kind of like the local scene for you. Like, you know, the, the, even today, you know, you're at an estate still and you, yeah. you, the couch is behind us, you know, that you have, you got today. Um, what, what's kind of like, you know, the, the community that you've built and the connections that you've built and the friends you've made and then the stores as well that are local. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, if you start looking, there's a lot of stores yeah. that do this, you know, that, that sell antiques mm-hmm. or, or just have booths, you know, places right. it's, I'm interested in that. Can I, yeah. Well, we're lucky. I think Oklahoma city has a really good, um, antiquing and vintage and thrifting, um, uh, number of, of stores. And, you know, I actually got to do an article a couple of years ago on Guthrie because Guthrie is, you know, kind of a, an antique store, a little little mecca. And um, so I go anywhere and everywhere. And that's what most, you know, full full on vintage seekers and antiquers and thrifters will tell you. Maximalists. Maximalists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't used the word maximalist, I don't think, today, but I'm definitely a maximalist. And... Um, 
which incidentally, I, when I created my account, you know, I didn't realize there was this sort of burgeoning anti-minimalism movement. And so the maximalist movement kind of has been uh, a touchstone for the last couple of years for a lot of publications. And there's, which just really was fortuitous in terms of me getting asked to do being articles and things. But um, yeah, Oklahoma City has, I mean, so there's obviously thrift stores, you know, you can Google thrift stores and, and uh, you know, Goodwill is a big chain and and we go to thrift stores, lots of antique stores around, you know, uh, I, I can name a few of them, although I'll, I'll feel bad if I leave somebody out, but um, I usually share a lot of those on we, my... We can put a list of those in the show notes. Yeah, let's do that yeah. because I hate to list uh, to list, list them and leave somebody off, but there's a lot of good antique stores and a couple of them even have, you know, monthly outside fleas every month or so that are fun because you usually get different things mm-hmm. or even the vendors are, are having sales. Um, you mentioned this morning I was at an, at an estate sale. There was an estate sale down the street um, that I went to. We got there early and I honestly haven't been going the last 10 months or so because I've been probably painting on the weekend. And and so it was a, a fun, but, it, but but there was something I saw in the picture that I wanted. And so I, yeah. we got there early, you, you get there early, you put your name on the list, you get a number, then you get to go in uh, in that sequence for some gotcha. of the estate sales that are they're, it's competitive. Stuff it's competitive, yeah. and so you have people who you know. And the guy that was number one in line bought all the taxidermy they had, and I was one, I was wanting to look at the taxidermy. <laughs> Just immediately and so I missed in. it by you know ten <laughs> seconds or something. And but I did get like this couch for a Chase Lounge vintage thing that's kind of uh, cool looking. That um, I was thirteenth in line, but my not because because my friend went uh, yeah. and got uh, got us. Uh, I'll put our names on the list. So there's estate sales. There's you know, annual sort of flea markets. We don't have too many big flea markets in locally, honestly. There's a few that, you know, from time to time at the fairgrounds, there will be one. And, you know, Tulsa has their Tulsa flea market at the fairgrounds. I think it's every weekend or maybe a couple times a month that's been there for a long time. But we don't have a ton of flea markets in Oklahoma, really. Is there an opportunity there to to start one? Maybe. I mean, as I said, there's a couple of sales. (laughs) business there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it was, you know, there's like a swap meet that's east of town, um, but there's, you know, like outside of Dallas has, you know, Canton First Monday, which is a giant flea market. But in terms of like a really curated collection of vendors who come in it would be almost like an arts fest for mm-hmm. vintage dealers there's really not one of those that would be cool per se and i would love to go to that yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's it's kind of big and and bustling but we do have a lot of estate sales um that are to me good i mean i have found you know some things that i looked had looked for for years i found in in in, in oklahoma city and most of my stuff re- lately does come from oklahoma city so there's a lot of inventory here and uh, and then some of the you know Liza said Guthrie, and uh, and other places. I love that one. Oh <laughs> yeah, just scrolling your Instagram yeah. Well like that yeah. You know, so that's that was one of um, one of the things that I resisted collecting. So we're looking at <laughs> looking at a photo of. I'll, of I'll put tourist it over the plates. video if you're watching the video. Yeah. you can see. Well, it. if anybody goes to estate sales, you almost always see these vintage plates. tourist plates that people would pick up on road trips, and uh, you know they're kitschy and. You know, not particularly attractive, and not, frankly, not partic- not not particularly um, valuable. But something about the put in a, in a large group, I just thought it was made a fun, uh, you know, image. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah, and so I finally broke the seal on collecting those, and 
um, went to a couple of estate sales in, here in town, and one of them on, on the 75% off day had a stack of like 20 plates. And I'll take it. She was like, you can have all those for $5 or something. And I was like, okay, if you're going to force, I guess I'm starting a new collection. And I literally went to another, this next estate sale, and they had another stack of, of 10 or 15. So in one weekend, I think I had 40 or 50 um, of those. And then... Now, now I'm in. I'm in for a penny. I'm in for a pound. So now yeah. it's like it's on. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna build it, and I get different different shapes and different sizes. And then I started focusing on kind of Oklahoma ones, which you know, with most tourist items, you have a hard time finding them locally. Well, the, the chest yeah. that you have. What, huh? Did the did you put the words Oklahoma on the chest that you have, or is that no? That was on there. Can, yeah, that's really neat. I love that. Yeah, and that was from somewhere out of town. Um, because usually, you know, if you're from if you're if you grew up in Oklahoma, if you're from Oklahoma City, you're going to go and bring back tourist items from other locations. So usually, to find Oklahoma items, you have to go yeah, somewhere else because we don't, you know, locals don't want necessarily want tourist yeah. items from their own city. So yeah, so that turned into like a, a photo that Country Living um, used in one of their magazines, and actually, I recently shipped them some plates, about fifty plates. Yeah. To uh, to their studio to photograph that are supposed to be in the in the summer one of their summer issues. That's really cool to have like that connection and that kind of relationship with country living and pioneer and just all of the cool stuff that mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it, it's kind of reaffirming stuff that you know you're doing the right thing right when people come to you and especially when it's not a business it's just a hobby for you. Yeah, you know it it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's been fun. Yeah, it's it's because it, they've asked two or three times for different different things, and a couple of magazines have done that. And sometimes I just can't bear to ship some things that right. are too fragile, or you know, would be difficult to replace. But some things are easy to do, and and then they can photograph them in their studio. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it is. It's fun. Yeah. Finishing up, uh, what if if you were to make this a business? If there comes a day where you think, you know what, I'm I'm done with the lawyer stuff now. <laughs> What direction would you take it in? Would you kind of, I mean, now that you have, you know, a house over, you know, four times the size that you did have, would you have, you know, like an art gallery or your own space? I mean, a coffee shop with all this stuff in, like kind of what your own flea market. market. Yeah. What would be kind of like the, you know, no money, no questions asked, like, this is what I would do. Well, that's a good question. I, I probably would be more inclined to like try and sort of reproduce the aesthetic in kind of a new way with new merchandise um, or, you know, kind of replicate the look in more of a mass market kind of way mm-hmm. that where people could get the aesthetic and that they, because I do get asked a lot, can you make me a wall like that? Can yeah. you, it's, it's really impossible to do it quickly because of the difficulty in sourcing all of the things mm-hmm. that, that you would need. So it would probably be something like that where I try to, try to take the brand and create, yeah. you know, homewares that are kind of reminiscent of what I do. I, yeah. So I shot for, um, some local interior designers recently, actually last year, and they had a wall that had, it was just a bunch of like portraits of faces, mm-hmm. like old, new, there was just like different shapes, different I'm like, how long did it take you guys to find these 10 pieces? Mm-hmm. Probably a long time. Yeah. Well, I have to, before, I know we're getting close to the end, but I have to mention this. One of my collections is, um, in, in my Instagram feed, there's a, a wall of very brightly co- colored portraits mm-hmm. and they're all kind of from the eighties. And they were painted by a gentleman, an Oklahoma man named Claire Seglum. He was in his nineties when he passed away a couple of years ago. And 
a friend uh, who I only knew through Instagram and we've met in person since then, but she messaged me on, this was during the pandemic. So it was the first, it was in 2020, kind of, I think in the summer of 2020, I think, and it might've been 21, but I think it was in the summer of 2020. But anyway, she messaged me on Instagram and she was like, Hey, I was just at an estate sale and they had all of these portraits. And I know you like old portraits. And she sent me a couple of snapshots and I think my body like levitated off the couch at that moment. And I flew, it was on a Friday afternoon. It was at about four o'clock and I think they closed at five. And I live in downtown Oklahoma City and the sale was in Midwest City. And so I got there like 4.30. At that time I was wearing like two masks because I was like scared to like, you know. <laughs> go know, anywhere. Go anywhere. Yeah. And I even forgot one of my masks and I was like, I'm just gonna risk, risk it. <laughs> Risk COVID for the collection. I'm just risk it. And so I get in there and in like 20 minutes, I picked up 50 of these really amazing, colorful portraits that he had painted. And he was a prolific, you know, amateur artist. He had yeah. had landscapes and all kinds of things. And the portraits were my favorite. And then I brought them back and I posted on Instagram. I went into an empty apartment in my building. They let me spread them out on the floor, yeah. got my ladder, and I took this really you know, a picture of all of these portraits and all of a sudden it just kind of became a thing. And the next day, like dozens of people, you know, went to the, went to the sale and bought all of his art. There was somebody from Cal, designer from California who was like, you know, DMing the estate sale company. I think they had to, I think they had to make an Instagram, you know, right then because they were, people were trying to get in touch with him. That's brilliant. And so it became a whole weekend thing. And then his daughter's, um, got caught wind of me sharing his photos and contacted me on, on Facebook and were sharing stories about it. And they were moved that That's people awesome. loved his art so much. And so that to me was like, what was, you know, that was the fun of this kind of thing where That's you amazing. do find people who love, uh, the things that people made and can preserve them. And they even had thought, you know, well, we thought people would just buy them and paint over them because that's what yeah. you could do. It's your prerogative. And it's, and they had really never seen all of his portraits together right. in that way. And so it, you it must can, have been amazing for them then. Yeah. And so it was, it was, it really takes on a new life when you can see them all to display together and you can see his technique come through. And then one of his daughters said, you know, well, his, one of his signatures was the elongated noses. And I was like, oh, I didn't even notice that. And that's kind of what yeah. makes them a, a little bit con, work, contiguous and work together was the elongated noses. But anyway, I just want to share that because it was an Oklahoma artist and and a fun a fun kind of vintage story. Um, well, Daniel, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, yeah, this. No I, I know it's unfinished. I know your OCD is probably saying, why are you guys here right now? But this back wall looks amazing. Uh, I'm glad we got to share some of the stories that you have. I know there's hundreds more of yeah, the yeah. one you oh, just yeah. shared and, and all of the cool people that you meet. But um, like Canon said, I think before we started recording, whenever everything is done, even if it's in two years or however long it takes, we would love to do a house tour just to, for, okay, for yeah. you to show for us sure. around. I'd love to yeah. even just and like document, just, yeah. just take photos of it. It's cool. Yeah. If, if really you record cool. that, obviously. But yeah, that stuff is cool to me. So, so. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. For people uh, listening, Not A Minimalist on Instagram and then just the website, notaminimalist.com. Is that correct? Yeah, I do have a website. There's not much there, but yeah, mainly Instagram. Great. And I have a Facebook page too. Yeah. For people listening, I'll put that in the link in the description as well as uh, the other amazing antiques and thrift stores that Daniel mentioned. Uh, we'll put a list of those in the description as well. So you, if you want, if you feel inclined to go thrifting or collecting or just just want to get out of the house or you just want to live vicariously yeah, <laughs> go exactly. check out go check out the Instagram if you want to see it not have to dust definitely yes. <laughs> yes no dust but thank you guys for listening we'll catch you next episode cheers
This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, Follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.